0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, November 6th. Could the war between Israel and Hamas spill into neighboring regions? We get the latest on the conflict from Elliot Tepper, senior fellow from the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University.
1: Are you feeling a little extra rested today or are you having a tough time keeping your eyes open? To catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, to talk about daylight saving time, specifically if a one-hour disruption in our regular sleep schedule can have any significant impact on our health and well-being.
0: And finally, we often focus on home renovations to make our space feel more welcoming and comfortable. But have you ever thought about your emotional environment and what it takes to maintain mental stability and harmony in your home? We discuss this interesting concept with Calgary-based author and speaker, Connie Jacob.
1: Israeli troops have cut Gaza in half and are expected to enter Gaza City either today or tomorrow. The hamas run Gaza Health Ministry now reporting more than 10,000 dead in the conflict. Joining us to talk about the latest and what's expected in the days ahead, we're joined this morning by Elliot Tepper, Distinguished Senior Fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Good morning to you, Elliot. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you. Good morning, Sue and Andy.
1: Pleasure to have you on once again. Uh, we appreciate your knowledge. And, you know, with what's happening now, it looks like Israeli troops will move into Gaza from two fronts. We know the Israeli military, well-armed, everything is well planned out. What is their end goal here in this process?
2: Well, it's for, been stated from the outset, they have two goals. The first is that Hamas will be removed as the governing force in Gaza. They will no longer be Uh, the government there at all, and they will be degraded militarily to the point where they will never again be an existential threat to Israel. That's been the stated goals. That's the operation that we're seeing right now surrounding Gaza City is just one more systematic step forward in that process.
0: All right, so, yeah, we're looking at the end goal looking ahead, but how about looking back for the past few days? Biggest developments in the war over the weekend? What would you deem those developments, Elliot?
2: Uh, well, first of all, everybody's horrified by what's going on, myself included. Uh, but we have to remind ourselves that we are basically watching the Hamas playbook continue to roll out as they intend. Uh, they. This is a well-established pattern. It's just this time they're not... Uh, the Israelis say they're not going to get away with it. The pattern has been all along that they do something, uh, uh, committed an atrocity. They have embedded themselves thoroughly in the population of Gaza, next to schools, underneath hospitals, and so forth, in residential places. Their terror tunnels, as it's called, the underground infrastructure, is highly developed, so the uh, it's, it's difficult to Put it this way, but basically their Hamas has played a very cynical game very successfully in the past, and we're seeing it now where they leave the civilian population of Gaza uh, open to the retribution that they themselves have invited, and they themselves their senior leaders hide underground in their, in those uh, tunnels, and their actual leaders, their political leaders are nowhere near there at all. They're, they're in <laughs> Qatar and they're in Turkey living very opulent lives. And in fact, we've gotten some National Post reporting on just how wealthy Hamas is. So we're learning much more about Hamas, but we're not hearing much about them in the Tragedy that they themselves have planned on and that is successfully unrolling in front of us.
1: And that's the horrible part of all of this, isn't it, Elliot? I mean, like you said, I, I think the world is watching with horror in so many different ways. I mean, Hamas went into Israel. It was an, a just a, almost unbelievable attack. And now with Israel bombing to try and take Hamas out and the lives that are being lost of, you know, just everyday Gazans, it's just, I, I think... You know what? Do you, what? How do we even look at that and and be able to sort of you know figure out how we we kind of fall? Is there a side in this?
2: Uh, I think the side should be that the people of the region should not be sub subject to the to the terrorist states uh, terrorist organizations which are, are imposed upon them. The people of Gaza need to uh, need to no longer have Hamas or Islamic Jihad. The people of Lebanon should no longer fear that this kind of fury is going to be once again visited upon them by Hezbollah. And the people of Iran uh, no longer should have to worry about the Ayatollahs bringing, as very might well happen, uh, retribution against the behavior of their, of their government. These are, these are all, I, I don't know how to call them, they're being called in the press death cults. Uh, these, they want to eliminate Israel as a state, they do not want a two-state solution. They want to eliminate uh, Jews from the whole region, and they are taking steps to make that happen. What we are seeing is the visible surface elements of all that, but the people of the region really need to be freed of this kind of um, genocidal cults that want to impose, I don't know, or they want to be sure that their version of uh, of, uh, governance is imposed on people who are paying the cost mm. for what they are
0: doing speaking this morning with elliot tepper distinguished senior fellow at the norman patterson school of international affairs at Carleton university and and elliot uh, diplomacy has that ship sailed or is there any chance for diplomacy at this point
2: Oh, there will be diplomacy. Diplomacy is going on right now behind the scenes. But diplomacy, for for what ends? I think there's multiple goals here. The first is to deal with the humanitarian crisis, which is a fomented and planned for crisis as part of the strategic goals of Hamas. Uh, There's diplomacy at the the most visible level going on there. We need humanitarian corridors. We need to find a way to get material in. Israel has said, you haven't paid attention. We've actually had two humanitarian corridors already, and we're also trying to get people out of the north of Gaza down to the south. So that diplomacy is going on. Intense diplomacy has to be on the hostage situation because what Israel has said all along, there's a deal on the table here. Uh, Israel said, after being attacked, we're putting Gaza under siege. We are going to put them under siege until our hostages are returned. And that offer is still on the table. That offer was just made once again. Uh, by Netanyahu saying when when President Biden's envoy went there, the Secretary of State saying, you know, you have to do something. And they're saying, yes, we will, you know, release our hostages and uh, all the water taps and all the electricity and all that will come back on. So there's that diplomacy, hostage diplomacy. And then there's the longer range diplomacy of what about the day after? Uh, assuming that Israel succeeds in eliminating uh, Hamas as a, either a government or as a uh, military force, a threatening military force, what's going to happen to Gaza? And I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes on that. A lot of talk right now, <laughs> on Sue and Andy, on having a multinational Arab and Muslim force come in, because it's uh, known, you know, Israel can't, it does not wish to govern. They say, we want, we want these guys gone, but we don't want to be there. Mm. So there's a lot of diplomacy on the day after, a lot of speculation. Uh, there's a lot of comment that you know, the, um, <laughs> the, the the neighboring states really don't have a high regard, let us say, for the quality of the governance that is, is visible around them in the Palestinian movement. There's also that. But the bigger picture, the big diplomacy is how do you keep this from spreading and becoming, you know, an unintentional wider war or an intentional wider war that could really lead to who knows uh, what, unpredictable results once the dogs of war are released the U.S. has sent aircraft carriers to stabilize the situation, but this is a highly unstable unstable region, and Hamas has violently kicked over that apple cart.
1: It, it just is a, a horrific situation as we continue to watch things unfold and, and see you know, how things will move down the road. Thank you so much for keeping us updated. Always appreciate your
2: time. Oh, thank you.
1: Thanks. Elliot Tepper is a distinguished senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University can or how much does a one-hour disruption in our regular sleep schedule affect our health and our overall well-being and can we realistically catch up on any kind of a lost hour through a time change to discuss the impact daylight saving time has on us we're joined this morning by our expert dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician hi dr jay Good morning. Okay, so we fell, fall back, fell back an hour, so it kind of benefits us a bit. Or does it? Does this ch- time change actually affect us in any way, shape, or form?
3: Uh, it uh, The other way is horribly bad. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Hmm. Uh, falling forward actually is perhaps somewhat better than the other. But this whole notion is really medically fraught with trouble. The stats are unbelievable how how negative this is, this whole concept. So they talk about an increased cardiovascular risk rate, 24% increase in heart attacks, 6% increase in, in car accidents, stroke rates up by 8%. spike in depressive episodes. This is unbelievable how bad this time change issue is. The only good thing is we went in the right direction two days ago, or I guess Sunday, well, I guess one and a half days ago, or however you, uh, you count it.
0: It's funny because I just, you know, grin and bear it and I nap every day and, uh, you know, I, pff, our schedules are less than ideal, and myself. But it was interesting. Just out of the blue, my wife said yesterday, oh, yeah, with this time change, it always it gives me a hard time. So I, I, I didn't wrap yeah. my head around until, you you know, your partner says this is, this is tough on me. So is there anything that we can do to combat the effects of changing or a uh, disruption in our sleep schedule to, to get on the other side unscathed?
3: So... Uh, the biggest mistake made when we fall forward is to stay up later at night because we have an extra hour (laughs) and messes with us uh, just that alone. So it's interesting. Some people are um, not that much affected by changes. Uh, And this could be somebody perhaps who's a a shift worker or somebody who actually has always had their their timelines changed. But for somebody who is very... Whose rhythm is very much focused on the hour and is very uh, routine this time shift whether you go one way or the other way really throws a wrench into the system um and and i guess the advice if there is any advice is to incrementally try to shift until you're back into the cycle that uh your time uh demands so people say every 50 you can change that every 15 minutes i do normally wake up at uh, at six o'clock so you wake up at uh, you know, 5 and then 5.15 and then 5.30 and then 5.45 and then 6. You're just slowly inch it towards the time you, mm. you have to get up so that over the week you're good. And they say, the stats say that usually by a weekend, everyone's pretty well back on track, but it's just that first few days where everything is just a little bit jumbled if you're that person who, where routine is that critical uh, when it when it comes to going to bed and getting up in the morning
1: andy is super moody today is that one of the things we should be looking for in other people and maybe ourselves as well
3: (laughs) well (laughs) it may have nothing to do with daylight
2: saving time (laughs) that's fair
3: um but yeah i mean i guess it flies under the radar for the most part right we don't really think about this a lot and we just suck it up and do whatever we need to do but yes this could be connected with uh mental health with physical health with just not just being right on on the ball. And and like I was saying, even the the car accident rates and that are much, much higher. That's a, a fascinating stat mm-hmm. that this can throw us off that much that our concentration or memory or you know, our, our cognition is really impaired until we get back into sync.
0: And something i I bring up all the time when we talk about these changes and things that are stressful and, and change in the the schedule of our regular everyday life the importance of physical activity whether it's uh, you know being outside or doing something physical versus you know uh, you know i guess you' falling into the urge of just being a couch potato how important is it to keep moving uh, during a, a change like this
3: oh it would be very important as it is at all times but yeah some people talk about um you know, exercising in the morning at this time, whether it um, whether it be spring or the fall, is that that might actually help reset our clock a little bit quicker. Um, and and you know, this is similar to um, uh, when we're flying to say Europe and that, like how we try to reset our our uh, our uh, day and night uh, sleep cycle, um, is that exercise can be really really useful when we fall asleep the first time, how we can reset that clock a little bit quicker, but. Uh, typically, exercise is part of that formula as much as the um, when we when we go to bed or when we have to stay up until we uh, sort of literally drop. So, so yes, it all helps with uh, resetting our brain cycle.
1: So, Doctor J., would you say kind of overall then just be self-aware, know if you're feeling tired or you're feeling a little cranky or something like that, yeah. and just and be gentle with yourself and kind of take it easy for this week as as we get kind of you know acclimatized to it.
3: Oh, yes. Aww. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, that This will you know take a few days, so don't be too hard on yourself in the first few days, and, and it will come around. But be meticulous about this is not the time to, well, maybe I'll stay up much, much later or get up in an odd time. Try to stick to your routine or get back to your routine fairly quickly. And again, you can do it incrementally, but at the end, you need to get back on track and be quite uh, routine, particularly with the, uh, getting up in the morning. Most sleep experts would, would say that the, uh, falling asleep at night, you can have a bit of variability there, but you should always try to get up at the exact same time in the morning. And that tends to be the most um, successful way to reset your clock uh, quicker is by being very rich. Uh, like, don't, don't hit the snooze button too many <laughs> times or set your clock a little bit different. Just get up and get on it, even uh, if it seems wrong. That resets things quicker.
0: Some, some great points in a super timely topic dr jake Uh, uh, we appreciate uh, it have a great rest of your day you bet, sir. it's dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician yes we spend a lot of time decluttering our spaces like our homes and our offices but what about decluttering our minds and our moods joining us to help teach us how to better regulate our moods and feel better overall we are joined by author and speaker connie jacob welcome back to the program connie how are you Hey, Andrew, I'm doing great. Well, you know, this is fantastic to me. And I I believe Sue wrote the introduction there. And I think putting it in those terms, all the physical that we kind of declutter. Can we declutter our uh, minds and, uh, you know, our moods and feel better overall?
4: Yes, absolutely. And that actually is
1: pretty key when it comes to our mental and emotional and relational health. Connie, you call it your renovation company, and it's really about, you know, peace in your mind, you say. Peace in your mind makes peace in your home. Tell us about your renovation company and, and, you know, how we can kind of get on board with what you're talking about.
4: Well, you know, my husband and I, um, we we do do physical renovations, but when we were thinking about what could differentiate us, he's really great with uh, adjusting physical spaces, and I work in mental health and resilience and with families, and we thought, what if we combine those two It actually came in and really helped people create a home that feels peaceful and and safe, but also emotionally so that we can have um, a decrease in the mental health issues we're seeing in our children and and marriage breakdowns or partner breakdowns uh, to be able to really help on both ends.
0: What's interesting to me, Connie, is if we look at the rental uh, idea that you're mentioning no reno is the same every reno in every home is different just like every family situation you could just be you know married and it could be the two of you it could have one child could have multiple you could live with another generation the grandparents could live with you is that one of the challenges that you're ready to take on that every emotional reno is different
4: it is very different uh, all all of our different uh, relational uh, interactions you're right they are so diverse and yet there's so many things that are the same. I, I call it humaning 101. You know, the way I relate to my children and the way that I say repair after a rupture, that's no different uh, that I w- do with my partners and when I would do with my mom, that I would do with my child. And there's some really great simple things that we can do to keep our relationships healthy and strong that are, that are intergenerational.
1: I want to get into some of those in a minute, but I want to kind of take a step back as well because you mentioned you're a mom, you're a parent, you mentioned your kids. You had a a really uh, important and powerful journey with your son. Talk about that and maybe, you know, how that's kind of brought you to where you are now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. About eight years ago,
4: our son was hospitalized uh, for suicide ideation. He was only eight years old. And I remember um, being in the hospital and and hearing the psychologist talk about this concept of bringing our children closer when they're hurting. And even as someone who works in resilience, I didn't really know what she was talking about until I brought him home and really realized that a lot of the concepts that I teach people now are things that I had to learn myself. How do I? Uh, remain steady, a steady presence when someone is raging in front of me, um, when, when rage was really just a sign that he was actually feeling so desperate. How do I How do I keep that connection open? How do I manage my own inner world when somebody around me isn't managing theirs? And so I have a concept called your mood doesn't affect mine. And in mental health, we call this differentiation. It's this idea that, wait a minute, I'm not angry. You're angry. I need to manage me so that I can come in and be some bottom hands for you to be able to support you. But to do that, I have to actually be able to figure out how is my inner world doing and not allow somebody else's mood and experience to shape mine.
0: I want to take it back, Connie, because you you mentioned the journey you went through and you were on this path and and you help others have connections. You help others. For you to have to go through this and learn uh, on your own, within your own situation, how humbling was that? And and how much of an important fact is that now in your toolbox when you're dealing with other families?
4: You know, honestly, I I wouldn't want to go through the experience again, but it was invaluable for me because now I really empathize. I understand. Um, I was in the dirt. I was in that experience, and that has given me so much gold. I knew a lot in my head. I knew a lot of knowledge, but I didn't have applied knowledge, and I'm so thankful to have applied knowledge that I can bring to people now. And and it really it was humbling because it's, I knew all these things. I knew all the theory, but now I had to practice the theory, and that
1: has been probably the best
4: experience of my life to to have that lived experience now.
1: So Connie, you know, to kind of now go back to, you mentioned, you know, how you, how you bring all this back home to uh, your relationships with your partner specifically and just everybody with your children, with your partner, with life, how does all of this sort of help move you forward and make sure that your relationships are all positive and that you can always have kind of that peace in your heart and peace in your home? I think it
4: just, comes to bravely facing our own stories. Um, Oftentimes, um, I'm working with families, parents, and they're like, just fix my kid. Can you help my kid? And I was there too. (laughs) Somebody fix this kid. Somebody somebody give him some meds. Somebody help him. And I'm not against medication, not against counseling. But I didn't realize that the person who had to change the most was was me. I had to learn how to manage myself. I had to learn how to look at my own story bravely and decide which parts of my story I wanted to rewrite so that I could pass on a new story to my kids.
0: Incredible. Incredible. I want want to ask you this because uh, something that sticks out as well to me is the fact that you mentioned that for you, uh, peace in your heart means peace in your home. Uh, so many stresses outside the home. How important is it to have a refuge where you can feel safe, where you can feel comfortable, where you can feel in harmony when you get home?
4: Well, that's that's it right there, Andrew. A lot of people are, are stressed all the time, and home isn't a refuge. Um, I think I heard a stat that said we set, we spend... 70% of our time in our limbic system of our brain, that's our reactions, that's our stress, that's our cortisol raising um, part of our brain. 70%, which was only supposed to be moments and of, 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 of defense, moments of, of alert, but we spend 70% of our day there, and a lot of it is in our own homes. We go to workplaces that are stressful, we come home to a, a home life that's stressful, and, and home is meant to be a place where you can come back to and you know you belong, you know that, that you are welcome, you're delighted in. Delight is a, a big part of mental health. Are, am I a delight to the people around me? And, and it's supposed to be a place where I can feel delighted in here so that I can go to work. Maybe it's not a psychologically safe environment, but I can, I can make it through the
1: day because I know that home is, is where I become and where I belong. You can help people. They can get in touch with you. You've got a great website, ConnieJacob.com. It's J-A-K-A-B, Jacob is the spelling last name, ConnieJacob.com. And I see down at the end of your, uh, your, your website, you've got a little thing that says, I want everyone to know that they are brave and they belong. Join the weekly dose of inspiration. I love that you've got that there. Send a little bit of, it's just an email that you send out quick to people with some inspiration on it? Yes, I give relational tips every week. I love it. Okay, so you can join that there. Go to the website, ConnieJacob.com. J-A-K-A-B is how Connie spells her last name. Author and speaker, thank you so much for joining us. We already got uh, some texts in of people saying, yes, good insight to recognize your own story, not repeat it, but to be able to teach that to people moving forward. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you both. Appreciate it. Connie Jacob, author and speaker.